Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Big League Philanthropist Podcast, where we talk to athletes and nonprofits about the power of sports and what they're doing to make a difference in their own communities. I'm your host, Danielle Berman. I'm the founder and CEO of Tackle What's Next, where we help athletes create impact after the game and find their purpose in life after sports. Join me and learn more about how athletes all over the world are changing not only their own lives, but the lives of others around them. Welcome to the Big League Philanthropist. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Big League Philanthropist podcast. I'm so excited to bring you another amazing interview episode this week. If you haven't tuned in to the first couple seasons of our show, we are all about highlighting athletes and individuals using sport for good, why they do what they do, what motivates them to keep going. Uh, So if you haven't checked out some of our past interview episodes, you are definitely going to want to check them out. We've done two seasons already and we have two episodes already in season three and seasons one and two have included some fantastic guests and each of them are such great examples of what athletes and individuals can do and accomplish and the change that everyone can inspire in their own community. So you won't want to miss their BLP story and their advice for you. This season, season three, we've already spoken to LaFay Baker, pro stunt woman, stunt coordinator, and founder of Diamond in the Raw, and Michelle Lewis Freeman, who is the founder of Track Girls and a track and field Olympian. And we also have our BLP Bulletin. So on Mondays, we give you a roundup of the latest news in sports philanthropy and athlete activism that we're following. Of course, we are still recording season three. So if you know of any athletes doing some great work we need to feature, shoot us an email at info at com to let us know. And of course, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts so we can reach even more amazing listeners just like you. It's just like you. On this week's episode, I am so excited to bring Jordan Marie Brings Three White Horses Daniel on the show. Jordan is Lakota. She's an advocate, a professional runner, a filmmaker, and the founder of Rising Hearts. She's nationally known for her advocacy and grassroots organization in the anti-pipeline climate justice efforts around the change the name, not your mascot efforts, the epidemic and crisis of missing and murdered indigenous relatives, and some native youth initiatives on top of all of that. Her experience in grants and project management, policy, blogging, and organizing has been leveraged by both non-for-profits and for-profit organizations in areas of environmental sustainability, access to quality health care, missing and murdered indigenous relatives, the Violence Against Women Act, and a variety of other worthy causes. Jordan spoke at our Tackle What's Next Athlete Impact Summit this past July. She and I talked about how to continue the momentum of athlete activism, and it was such a fabulous conversation. I'm so excited to have her on the show. As soon as we had that conversation, we connected, and she was so gracious and willing to speak at our event. I thought, we got to get her on the podcast, too. More people need to hear her and her story. So I'm really excited that I got the chance to reconnect and catch up with her. Uh, She mentioned some events that have just happened back in September a couple weeks back and some that are coming up so please be sure to go follow her page Rising Hearts her stories on Instagram always are posting about what's coming up um, with the organization and with the different movements she's involved in so please follow and support the things that she's doing I'm so excited for you guys to hear this so without further ado here is the conversation we had here at the Big League Philanthropist with Jordan Marie Daniel (laughs) 
Hi, everyone. I'm here with Jordan Marie Brings Three White Horses Daniel. Jordan is an advocate, the founder of Rising Hearts, and a professional runner. Jordan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Lila Palamaye, thank you so much for having me. Well, I am just so grateful. I know you were able to participate in a summit that we hosted at Tackle What's Next back in July around athlete activism and social impact, um, which was fantastic. And really excited to have you here on Big League Philanthropist because we do talk a lot about that intersection. Um, and I just wanted to, to start by talking about your, your running uh, career. And I actually recently learned you're a fourth generation runner and your family has had a long legacy in the sport. Um, so tell us about that. How did your running become a part of your family? Tell us about that upbringing and how did running become a part of your life? Yeah, running definitely was very much part of my life from the moment I came into this world. My grandfather, um, my Lala, Niall brings three white horses. He was a runner, a coach, really worked with our youth. And so um, I was just surrounded by him the first nine years of my life and always saw him going out for his runs. He really loved health and wellness and running was just something that he just loved so much. And so I was always watching him go out the door. Anytime we were driving around town, like with my parents or something, we'd see grandpa running across the bridge or along the river or on some of his favorite parts of his route. And so when he, I finally had the opportunity to run with him for the first time when I was 10, that was like this really amazing moment. Like, oh my gosh, I get to run with grandpa. And this is so exciting. This is like such a family thing. And I hated it. Like <laughs> he lived at the top of a hill. So like the first mile was like really easy and fast. Then it was like, okay, now it's time to turn around. Cause he also like, I don't want to force running on you. I don't want to have you do anything more than like a couple miles. You're just a kid. So the last mile was like all the way back up a hill. And I'm just like, this is not fun. Um, but I stuck with it because he did it. And then I learned, you know, my great grandfather was a runner. Um, and then my mom was also a runner and she was the sprinter out of our family. Um, and just hearing her stories in high school and my grandfather coaching her and her training for the 88 Olympics. And, you know, sadly it didn't happen because she ended up bringing me into this world. Um, but it's always just kind of been that dream of mine for someone in our family because they were all training for the Olympic trials, training for something big um, and life situations got in the way and had a new path for them. And so it's kind of always been my dream to make it to the Olympic trials. Um, now that I'm older and I like more of the distance running, I'm hoping that can be in the marathon. Um, mm -hmm. so that way someone from the brings through it horses family will actually make it to, to the Olympic trials. And maybe that'll be like, okay, that's my mark. Like I don't need to run anymore. I doubt that'll happen, but yeah, it's just kind of that, that family dream of mine to like for someone, someone to make it there. Um, and now, you know, becoming a new mother, if that doesn't happen with me, maybe that'll happen, you know, with my child and, and they'll be able to carry on that torch and that dream. Yeah, I love that. And congratulations on, you know, that that new announcement. Very exciting. <laughs> and I, I love that you have this that running has become almost like a part of the identity of, of your family um, and just a part of like those moments with your mom and with your grandfather. Um, but you've really done a lot of important work using your platform as a runner. And so I want to know, like, what does that mean to you? 
to be able to make an impact while running, right? Regardless of the Olympics and if you get there or not, which we hope that you do, the impact you've made, you could argue is, is much more important. So tell us about what that's been like and how you really leverage that platform. Yeah, I think especially for runners, athletes who have those really big dreams, you get really focused, you get tuned into your training, coaching, like everything you have to do to take the right steps to get there. And it kind of then becomes very linear, almost like you have all of these expectations, these check boxes that you need to do. Um, and for me, that's kind of like how running was for such a long time. Running was about family, about this tradition, this legacy. Then in high school and college, it transformed to, you know, the lack of representation of native runners and even just, you know, people of color within the running community, it transformed into now it's native representation within running too. And it feels like this new, um, you know, responsibility that I had. And then after college, it really transformed into, I'm finding running for the love of just running. And mm. because it connects me to all of the things I care most about, to community, to family, to the landscapes, to the soils, to um, the trails that I get to run on. And I think that's when running changed for me personally, in terms of I'm running for myself now. I'm, I don't need to carry this pressure or put this pressure on myself. I have this deeper love of running and connection. Um, but at that time when that was changing, I had just moved to Washington DC and was starting to become more, you know, exposed to a lot of social justice movements and efforts happening in the local community. I was networking, meeting more indigenous peoples and really trying to take a bigger stand on the reasons why I moved to DC. And that was to help make an impact, hopefully on the national level and working with congressional members and, you know, becoming a lobbyist. That was my dream and why I moved there. Um, but a lot of that changed because I became really grounded and rooted in community and started just meeting other people and learning about these frontline efforts, showing up to my first rally in March, showing up to a lot of these events, of about issues that I had never heard about or known about um, because also media, social media was kind of just starting with like okay. Instagram and like Facebook live and all of that stuff. Um, but it really gave me a new perspective of what does it mean to have intentions and purpose in what you do um, and how you can create an impact. And so after trying the lobbying experience, working for a congressional member, it just wasn't for me and it was a very disheartening place because of the lack of representation and support for seeing people like me in those hallways or in those hearings or briefings and just mm -hmm. people of color in general um, that I went back to like, I wanna work with community because I think that's where we can have the biggest impact. Um, so I started a new job um, that really brought me back into community um, and really started involving myself in what we can do as like a, an organizer, a community organizer and an advocate. So that's where I really started to learn this new path of how to have an, a bigger impact. Um, but having that purpose intersect with running began in 2016, really. That began with organizing my first march and rally to welcome the Standing Rock youth who ran over 2,000 miles to Washington, D.C., to oppose mm -hmm. the Dakota Access Pipeline. I had some friends of mine reach out to me. They're like, hey, you're a runner because that's been primarily my identity. Um, they're like, you should do something to welcome them. And I was like, the only thing I know how to do is run. And I guess like 
maybe let's continue this run for them by a couple extra more miles. Um, and that's what we did from the Supreme Court to Army Corps of Engineers is like we had this really beautiful run with all of the youth and their family and people that came to support them and really just provided a place for them to speak and to speak to what they were seeing on the front lines and carrying this message um, and delivering these letters and notes to really high ranking officials and the president at the time. Um, and so that's where I had like my first intersectional experience of running is a really powerful way to communicate something, to raise awareness about something. And, but it's not the first time we've all seen you know, politics become involved in sports. And, you know, there's always that phrase, keep politics out of running, keep politics out of sports. Um, but I think when we do start bringing these issues into our platforms, such as running or any other sport, um, it really makes a big impact in how we are exposed to it, how it's communicated. It also is a very inviting place for people who may not have known anything about it to be able to learn about this issue or whatever it is in a very right. like safe but informative way and a very creative way. So um, no better way to learn about something than having a conversation with someone while you're running and like setting those intentions and creating that new purpose of how else can I be taking action? What else can I be doing? Um, so up until that point, running was very separate from my advocacy work. I, I liked having them separate. Um, but as the years were progressing from 2016 to even present day, I saw more prayer runs happening. I started meeting more organizers of those prayer runs and started participating in them and started learning about them, um, about the right ethics and the protocols of how to go about it, how to do it in the right way. Um, but then it was just a culmination of efforts that led to the Boston Marathon, to me dedicating that marathon to 26 missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls, um, and just was really kind of fed up with the lack of visibility of our Indigenous issues of what we're fighting for, not being told, not being seen or heard, um, that led to me wanting to do a prayer run and kind of giving up on social media, giving up on community organizing, and just trying to run for them and just mm -hmm. trying to give back in that way. Um, so it's all come together in a very, um, very windy, bumpy road, but it's intersected and now it's just giving my running um, and how I advocate and how I can speak with those or for those who are no longer here um, in just a more intentional and purposeful way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's clearly been building to where you're, what you're doing now with Rising Hearts and running with Running for Justice. Um, and you mentioned the 2019 Boston Marathon, you know, that clearly was a big moment for you um, around, you know, painting that red hand on your face, making sure that you paused every mile to, you know, dedicate and pray for each of those 26 different missing or murdered women. Like, what did change after that? And what did you learn? Like, did you did you see people responding to your message more? Like, how did you see that change? So after I made that decision to do it, I honestly thought no one else would care. I thought maybe my indigenous community and family will care because this is such a heartbreaking issue and reality in our communities. Mm -hmm. um, that's very present and visible to us. I honestly gave up on everybody else caring. Um, so when I did share a couple of days later, the post and the names and why I did this, um, that changed everything. People started 
you know, following people went to the resources that I was sharing about people were following the organizations or people that I was um, telling them to go support and to, to share. Um, and people were becoming more proactive and trying to learn about this issue that is happening in every single state. It's happening across colonial borders. It's happening. Um, it's happening every day, sadly. Um, and it's and it's it's something that's so heartbreaking that it just does not get the visibility and support that it needs. Um, so it was a very overwhelming experience once I shared that because I was kind of thrown into this role and seat of oh my gosh now you're this runner advocate now you are the voice of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and relatives and I was like well that's not like what I was striving for so um it was a really big learning process uh it was overwhelming emotionally mentally and physically but it was a lot of work in terms of okay I, all of a sudden I have the spotlight on me how can I best use this to sure. not have me centered in it but how can I be a voice and a message for those who have no voice but also how can I amplify those that are already doing this work? Um, so it was very much a learning process. It was having lots of conversations with other advocates who have been doing this for a long time and sadly didn't get the spotlight that I did, but it's like, what can I be doing to support you? And how, like, how else can I be driving people to support your work now that I have this platform that I didn't ask for, um, but I'm really grateful and appreciative of it because it has led to a lot of, I feel like social change and awareness um, and exposure for not only those that I'm supporting um, and the families, especially that I get to work with and speak with um, who have lost a loved one, but it's building this connection between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples and communities and hopefully creating a pathway of how non-indigenous peoples can come and support us how they can approach us because there are certain ways you need to approach different people and communities especially when it's about these kinds of issues that are really rooted in trauma um, and violence and injustice um, and so yeah like i said it's been a learning curve it's it's felt like i'm walking on a, a, a sidewalk as i'm building it um, and that's not the way I operate. I'm very like structured. I'm very organized type A, like I'd like to plan ahead and like know what I'm seeing and walking into. Um, but it's also taught me a lot of lessons that I really appreciate and I feel like has helped make me become a better advocate um, and a runner at the same time. So yeah, it's it's been a, a really fulfilling journey so far though. Good. I mean, it's, I love that you point out the work that you did once you had that platform, because it's not enough just to get the platform. What are you doing with it? Um, who are you empowering with that platform, which clearly you took a lot of time to think about and, and push forward. And I want to bring Rising Hearts, the organization you founded into the picture. Tell us when you decided that that was something you wanted to commit to and how did you get that started? Was it, you know, around that time where you had this platform? Was it before that? Give us kind of that picture of how you got that going. Yeah, Rising Hearts came into the picture basically from that run that I organized to welcome the youth coming to DC. Mm. I started seeing a lack of representation of indigenous organizers being included in the marches and rallies or panels and discussions that were being organized by these other big organizations trying to support Standing Rock. Not to say like their efforts aren't appreciated, 
but I think it was just, you know, not being informed like of the right protocols, like, oh yeah, you, we probably should have an indigenous person on this panel. Um, we should have them in the planning um, and the development of a march and a rally. We should open with a land acknowledgement and a prayer blessing. Um, so it began as me kind of like being the pestering indigenous person coming up to all of these organizations after their marches and rallies or whatever events that they were having and being like, hi, my name's Jordan. I'm Lakota. I live here. My job is this. I want to ask you a few questions. And so that's like how this like co-collaborative movement began in DC. And then it like also introduced me to other indigenous advocates. So then they already had their kind of cohort together. We started merging together and then, you know, we co-founded coalitions together and it just really kind of set the stage of like, how can we be intersectional? How can we show up for each other? How can we be talking to each other and how can we be doing things in a better and more respectful way? Um, that way, that way we're not contributing to that erasure and invisibility of, you know, that community or person um, in whatever fight that they're fighting for. Um, so I think that really like strengthened a lot during my time in DC. And so it, yeah, Rising Hearts really kind of began as just like organizing marches and rallies and how can we collaborate together? How can we push the DC council to defund from, well, from Wells Fargo? How can we, um, you know, be making DC a more safer place an inclusive place um, and so that's primarily how we started um, organizing like vigils for MMIW, um, you know, relatives that were taken or sadly found murdered um, and panels and stuff. We helped with the People's Climate March in 2017, where we got over 200,000 people to come to D.C. We were on the National and Local Steering Committee. Um, but, yeah, we were very much centered on how can we build community how can we mobilize people to learn more about these issues um, and how can we do them in a really big impactful way? Um, and now in the last couple of years, Rising Hearts, I would say really since the, pan since the pandemic during this time, we've really pivoted to creating more programmatic work. We're still gonna always be involved in like supporting marches and rallies, um, but we wanna create a more programmatic pathway for people who are not indigenous to come to this space, hopefully a safe space is what we're trying to create, to become more informed about a variety of issues and topics. And so we have different programming that addresses very specific themes and topics that we're trying to address, but we're also trying to make rising hearts more intersectional. How can we be more collaborative rather than only just indigenous focused? How can we also be an organization and an arm of support for other communities and organizations that are fighting injustice and fighting for similar things because even though we're coming from different lived experiences those lived experiences are rooted in the very same constructs of why we feel and why we're experiencing what we're experiencing colonialism uh, systems of oppression racism um, and that's all led to trauma and sadly like a lot of the work that we do as advocates is driven from that trauma because we want to fight for a better future. And so all of our all end goals are the same in creating that better future, but how can we collaborate and talk to each other? Um, because I've, I've also learned as an advocate, when you, I guess when you start out, you kind of just stay within your community because as an indigenous person, there are so many things we need to be fighting for, so many things that need visibility and that we need to talk about that you kind of forget that 
everything else kind of like doesn't exist. Not that you're trying to do it purposefully, but you're just like so focused on like, okay, how do we mobilize? How do we organize yeah. this? How do we fundraise for this? That it kind of stops those pathways of communication and like exposure to other people who are experiencing similar things. So, um, you know, a teaching for me, Mitakuya Yasin, we are all related in Lakota, all my relations really was kind of like the Lakota or indigenous version to me of what intersectionality is because okay. I was raised with, we are never above or below anything. We are equal and that we are there to protect and to fight for all living beings, not just your own kin and your, your community, but everything. And, and that includes people. And that means fighting for those who may not be on the right path, who might be a little bit distracted um, or headed down a bad, a bad path. Um, you're always still fighting for them and for, for their next generations. And so um, that's the new approach that Rising Hearts is taking is really living and thriving off of that. And how can we cultivate community in a meaningful way? How can we be creating pathways of discussion of informed knowledge that we can be learning from? So a lot of our programming we host obviously indigenous people, but we also invite it to other like other community leaders and advocates that are fighting for something and making sure that we're exposed to that, that we're learning from that and that there are ways that we can take action um, or find ways to support them. Yeah, the, the focus on intersectionality, I think is really important because you talked about like that tunnel vision you can get when there's just so many problems that you want to solve or that affect your community. And, you know, you kind of forget that like there could be allies in this so in other communities, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of people fighting for similar things. Um, and I think, like you said, if you can open those doors and say, Hey, what have you learned? What have we learned? Let's see what we can do together. I think that's a really great point. And it kind of ties into, and correct me if I'm wrong, the running for justice um, movement that you've, you've done and really intersected with, the Black Lives Matter movement with other folks and other groups really, really that are impacted by systems of oppression, right? We saw many people running for Ahmad after the murder of Ahmad Arbery, right? You know, the Breonna Taylor and George Floyd marches and all of these other, Philando Castile, right? There's so many. And unfortunately, we probably could sit here for another 45 minutes and name so many people, both in many communities. And to your point, there's many probably indigenous murders happening that we don't even know about. So how does running for justice aim to intersect with these different groups, these different movements, and, and tell us about how that came about specifically. Yeah, I mean, running for justice is really to kind of create a movement for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And um, that was like the first hashtag that I used in my first post after the 2019 Boston Marathon. And now I love that I'm seeing it being used for so many other things because it's exposed me to other issues that are happening. Um, but my focus transition to expanding beyond just indigenous peoples, um, you know, began with Ahmaud Arbery. You know, I am so heartbroken that I never heard about this as being a runner and the fact that he was running and was literally gunned down by white supremacists. And it wasn't until Kara Goucher had shared, how did I not know about this on Twitter that I saw that. And I'm just like, damn, like, how did we not know about this? And then that led to the movement of run for run for Ahmad. And, um, you know, the other virtual run finished the run by 223 Foundation. And so 
when his ver his run happened during the pandemic last May, that was only a couple days after May 5th, the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls mm. and Two Spirits and Relatives. And I was like, this is just a no better way to have solidarity, you know, between black and brown communities right now. Um, and so I think his run was on May 8th, a couple of days after. Um, and I just really wanted to try and show my solidarity and support um, and show you can be someone that can, you know, I guess like cross lines or cross communities and be intersectional and like how you can also advocate. And so running for justice expanded to include black lives. And then sadly, not like a couple weeks later, you know, George Floyd. Um, and then that, and then global running day happened in June. And so that was when I wanted to be really intentional of including, you know, having my prayer run only be for black lives that were taken and raising awareness, um, because this is also intertwined and it's all coming from the same root causes, um, mm -hmm. of colonialism and all of those constructs that we still see today and feel today. Um, and then that grew to, you know, running for, you know, our Asian friends and community because of the hate crimes and the violence and the murders that they were experiencing um, and making sure that like on social media, I expanded who I was following, making sure it wasn't just all indigenous people and my closest friends, like making sure that my timeline is being very, very exposed um, to different communities and different perspectives. And that's what led me to expanding my friends um, and who are coming from these communities and, you know, having these conversations. And so running for justice really now is literally just running for justice for all bodies who are experiencing this kind of harm and trauma. Um, you know, I'm always going to have, you know, my love and care, utmost care for our missing and murdered Indigenous relatives. Um, but it is, like I keep saying, it's all intersected within and between our communities of like what we're experiencing. Um, and running for justice is just an ex a growing movement, a growing hashtag. And I love seeing that other people are using it um, and using it for their own too and what that means to them and defining what it means for them. Yeah, I think it's super powerful to see how much, like you said, people are using it. And unfortunately, you know, there's, there's, it's been able to adapt to these, these new experiences and, and news that we have. And so I think it's great that you're able to also say, look, I also know that I need to continue to grow and continue to evolve my own following and the people in my own circles. So, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes think like I created it, I have the mission, like we're going to stay here, but it is that ever changing, like, okay, let's expand our thought. Let's grow. Let's continue to evolve. How can we partner with this? Right. So I think that's a really great uh, a takeaway too is like there's there, you're never done right you're always continuing to grow and to learn um and I, that kind of gets me to my next question which is just progress is happening but it's happening slow um and like you mentioned around standing rock and just around you know the the lack of awareness for indigenous women and the murders they're experiencing what how can we keep making progress when the cameras aren't there or when they go away right after public awareness kind of shifts to the next big story yeah i think sadly you know we have to keep talking about it we have to keep showing up for it whenever it's happening not just on may 5th or not just on indigenous people's day or not just on or during native american heritage month um, sadly, it's gonna fall on the responsibility of, you know, native led organizations or any organizations from any community really is gonna fall on us, the orgs to keep creating 
these events, to keep creating these webinars, keep creating these podcasts, keep creating um, the blogs or whatever it is. But we need to, I think the biggest impact we can have as individuals is to keep sharing because social media, as much as I hate it, like I really don't like it. Social media, like managing that is a full-time job in and of itself and to having to create yes. content and to have it be meaningful and transparent and like everything that you want it to like be authentic. Um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, emotional energy. Um, but sadly, but awesomely, it is our greatest tool for visibility and, um, we're getting more creative with what we create in our content and how we share things. Um, but we need to continue sharing and we need to continue just being consistent in how we show up for each other. I think that's the biggest thing I always fall on is like the sustainability of our movements. How are we taking care of ourselves and prioritizing self-care so that way we're not having to pull all back from these advocating roles and organizing roles and movement spaces. Um, that way we can consistently and sustainably be part of them and how we're caring for each other, but also the consistency of who we're calling in to help be advocates with us, to help be in solidarity and take a stand with us. How, how can we keep that more consistent rather than just showing up for when a certain event is happening? Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of the work comes behind the scenes after that. Like once you're someone who is consistent, I think to create better allyship, better better community members being part of these movements is how can we um, collaborate together? And so some of the things that have been happening for Rising Hearts that I think is such a beautiful example is we have some non-Indigenous folks who are reaching out and like wanting to work with us and donate their time and their skills um, to support us because one, it's just me right now. And we're trying to hire someone um, that way I can have a maternity leave too. Yeah. Um, but we have a dear friend of ours who is also an athlete advocate with our running with purpose collective. Um, she's a grant writer and I love writing grants. I don't have the time for it. Um, that's primarily my background, but this is what she also loves doing. And she got us our first grant um, recently. So that's really exciting. But that's mm -hmm. also that also I hope shows people this is how you can show up and, and support the movement and support the people is you also don't have to just share or like or retweet or donate. You can also come with your skills with what you can offer. How can you alleviate some of that responsibility for these advocates and like just offer what you can do um, because we do need the help and support and sadly it's you know we're spreading ourselves so thin by wearing so many hats as advocates um, across all the spaces um, and I think that's just like the best way for these movements to just become more strong um, but also expand in how we can be supporting each other. Yeah I think that's a great point being an ally doesn't have to be a public support show support doesn't have to be a post doesn't have to be a press release being an ally can be exactly like that grants are hard to get so kudos to her for securing that for you and congratulations you know it takes time and if you have that expertise like that is a perfect example of how you can support a cause that you care about or an organization that matters and i think you know that's a great point for people to think about is allyship can look a lot of different ways but nine times out of ten being an ally is not something that's happening on social media yeah. it's happening behind the scenes it's happening you know off offline quote unquote right you know it's happening kind of person to person and and really showing up is is really what it is and you know as we wrap up here and i really appreciate all the time you've given us i just had a couple more questions that i wanted to ask 
Um, this podcast is called The Big League Philanthropist, and, and really the goal is to show how different philanthropy can look. And so we love to ask everyone that comes on, what does being a philanthropist, that word specifically, mean to you? And what does that look like in your eyes? To me, I think it's just being able to give back into community. And I think that can take a lot of different forms, a lot of different creative forms. Um, I think for Rising Hearts, one of the, the biggest things that's most important is how can we give back to community? Because so many people have shown up for Rising Hearts and have supported us, um, you know, share our content, show up to our events. How can we give back and like invest in community? So how we're creative and how we raise funds and give back is through our virtual runs. Like that's been our biggest fundraising opportunity and platform is hosting these virtual runs. We have two coming up, one this Saturday and one on September 30th, but we raised very grassroots level, basically an individual level, um, over $180,000 that we've donated back into several organizations and individuals to support them in their work, the, the things that they're fighting for. Um, and that's just one way to keep the, the movement and the support going. Um, and so that's how we've been creative and how can we give back to, to community as also like providing space, providing platforms to host other voices that are not rising hearts to be part of these conversations, to share in their expertise. Um, but I think that's just what it means to me is being able to give back into community. How can we invest in them? Um, and how can we create safe spaces for the movement and these conversations to keep continuing? Yeah, that's great. I think that investment piece is huge because that looks a little different. It doesn't have to be a financial investment, right? It can be a lot of different modes of investment. So I, I love that piece and the community aspect of investing in that community that matters. Um, and I have one more question and then I want you to tell us a little bit more about what's coming up and how people can connect. For anyone that's listening, maybe they're an athlete that's thinking about doing something with their platform. Maybe they're a young person that wants to get involved. Um, in some sort of cause, you know, what advice do you have to those people about speaking up about issues that matter to them? Maybe they want to drive change, but don't know where to start. Where would you kind of advise them to, to start? Yeah, I would say start with, you know, find what you're passionate about or find what sticks out to you the most that just like angers you that you want to change that. And then become more informed about the issue or the topic, um, you know, become as much of a subject matter expert as possible and be resourceful in how you learn that information. That may mean you need to reach out to organizations or other advocates that you can learn from that can be your mentors, but not doing it in a very exploitive way or extractive way, being very supportive in that role. And then your next thing can be, okay, how am I going to talk about this? Maybe my platform is maybe I start a blog to have these conversations, or maybe I share posts on Instagram or create reels or do TikTok videos that share about this topic and just be as creative as you want, but also don't be hard on yourself if you don't get much traction. You know, like I literally went from like, you know, not having a big social media presence to all of a sudden having one, 
but that, that took time, you know, Mm -hmm. that took time to grow that organically and to get those that come to my platform to trust me. Um, and for me to trust them too. Um, but don't be hard on yourself and you can have an impact big or small when it's just one person and you may inspire someone else who may be inspired by your learning journey and your growth and how you are taking a stance and they may start the same thing. And then that's all part of the ripple effect of change and inspiration and hope that I truly think will make the world a better place when we can start influencing each other, when we can start inspiring each other. Um, Yeah. And I think that's probably the best advice is just find out what you want to learn, what you're passionate about or what you will not tolerate. Become the subject matter expert on that. Start talking about it, sharing about it. um, And don't let the trolls get to you. Um, (laughs) You are definitely (laughs) above the trolls and the comments that they may leave. um, But don't let that deter you from the work that you're trying to do. Yeah, def- I agree with that wholeheartedly. And the point that you made too about it's not going to happen overnight and it takes time and effort. That's huge. It's not going to be wake up in the morning and now you're, you know, you have a platform. You got to build that and put the effort in. Um, well, thank you so much, Jordan. I really appreciate you giving us so much time. And as we wrap up here, can you just tell us what's coming up? You talked about a couple races or runs coming up, excuse me, with Rising Hearts. Um, where can they get more involved with some of the programs that you are putting together? Give us a little snapshot of what's coming up here this fall. Yeah, so um, this Saturday on September 11th, we have the Justice for Sarah virtual run. Um, Her family is still fighting for justice for her. So this is our way to collaborate and partner with multiple organizations that are all focused on this advocacy work to help raise awareness and funds for the family. Um, And then we also have our September 30th Remembrance Run Every Child Matters for Orange Shirt Day. Um, This is to help bring awareness to, um, you know, the troubling legacy of boarding school and residential schools in Mm. the U.S. and Canada um, to honor and to remember um, all of the Indigenous children that were stolen and had to be put through this, um, these schools um, to honor the, the survivors that we have today, but also raise funds to support three organizations that are supporting survivors that are supporting um, truth and reconciliation efforts, um, you know, on a local state and federal level with the governments um, and just doing a lot of amazing work and programming. And so this is our way to give back. Um, And then we also have our indigenous people's day um, virtual run coming up. It'll start October 9th and it'll end, I think on the 16th. Um, So you'll have a week to get your runs in. You'll have 5K, 10K, a half marathon option. Um, And we're going to be supporting Stop Line 3 and Wombly Scott and Rising Hearts um, in terms of those uh, fundraising efforts. Then we also have a short film that we're creating an impact campaign for that I'm co-directing and producing on with my partner with Patagonia. It's called Run 2, and it's going to be featuring Dr. Lydia Jennings, an Indigenous runner, um, and just an incredible story. So just putting that out there, the trailer releases on Indigenous People's Day and the full film release on October 20th. Um, But yeah, we have tons more events coming up, but if you also are looking to prioritize your own self-care and learn about different topics and new things, um, you can definitely sign up for our wellness and informational classes that we have on Indigenous Wellness Through Movement on our website. Um, We have Pilates this Sunday, we have dance classes, we have variety of classes that you can sign up for, as well as workshops and storytelling opportunities as well. 
That's awesome. And it's risinghearts.org where they would find that, correct? And then yep. rising um, underscore hearts on Instagram. And we'll put all this in the show notes. Um, and then obviously your, your uh, social handles as well so they can find and connect with you. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for taking so much time to be here and share the work that you're doing. It's been such a pleasure. I know everyone listening is going to really enjoy learning about all of the things that you're doing. Um, and again, we really appreciate you taking some time out to be here with us. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and really excited to keep supporting you um, and what you're doing. I think these are incredible conversations and panels that you've been hosting. So I'm really looking forward to see how that grows. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you all so much for joining us and tuning in to another incredible episode of The Big League Philanthropist. It was amazing to have Jordan here for this episode. Guys, go follow her on Instagram, follow Rising Hearts, head to their website and check out all of the amazing programs that they're doing. We'll have all the links in the show notes. If you just go there, click, click around and actually show up, promote, support the things that she's doing. It's really, really amazing and incredible the visibility that she's bringing to Native communities, Indigenous communities, and different efforts going on around the country. And thank you again to Jordan for taking the time to sit down with us here at the Big League Philanthropist. It's incredible, again, the work you're doing, and we support you fully as you continue to advocate and be a voice for native and and indigenous communities and really all people i loved the points around intersectionality she continued to bring up it's always such a pleasure to highlight athlete activism and jordan is such a great example of the power we all have but especially athletes have to make change Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so we can reach even more incredible listeners and share this episode with a friend who you think would really enjoy this chat. Thanks to Olivia Peters, Isabel Patterson, and Christian Bonadonna from Team Taco What's Next for their help with this episode. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time for another inspiring conversation here at the Big League Philanthropist. (music) 